good morning, everyone. Um, a very warm welcome to you all here in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's good uh, that we've been able to have another hour in bed, if you've been able to do that. And we've been blessed with the rain as we've arrived. So, uh, just to say a very warm welcome. And uh, welcome to those who are joining us online as well. Uh, this service is live streamed uh, today. We're going to have some uh, notices uh, to begin with, and we're going to be uh, looking at, um, we're, we're going to be considering a tier fund campaign and also continuing our series in Thessalonians. So I'm going to ask Adrian to come up first to share a notice, and then I'm going to share um, after that. Thanks, Michael. This is um, about elections for deacons. So on Wednesday, the 22nd of November, we will be holding the election of deacons during the church members' meeting. Now, you may be aware that there are currently two vacancies. We can have up to 12 deacons, but currently only 10 have been appointed. In addition, one of our existing deacons is standing down early. And we also have this process by, way, by which um, deacons retire after three years. So three of our deacons have come to the end of their term and I'm not yet able to confirm how many are standing for re-election. But that means that we might be looking to um, appoint or reappoint six deacons. If you're um, interested in standing and would like to know more about it, please talk to me or to one of the other deacons. Um, so if you are a church member and you are willing to stand, the process is that you need to get a nomination form and be proposed and seconded by a church meeting. Now, I've got a stock of forms that I can uh, let you have. Um, the key thing is the deadline for nominations is next Sunday, that's the 5th of November, at 6pm, so completed nominations must be returned by that time. So thanks for listening, and we would really appreciate your prayerful support during this process. Thanks. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, Keith Johnson would have brought a notice, but I'm going to stand in for him uh, as Alison's not, uh, sorry, uh, Alison's not well at this time, so he's not able to come. Um, but it's regarding the Samaritan's uh, shoebox, uh, uh, per shoebox appeal. You will see in the street out there, that corridor, and out there, uh, the reception area, um, boxes that you can take away and uh, fill up and bring back um, and there are also uh, leaflets to let you know what kind of things do go in and don't go in. We're going to watch a brief uh, clip uh, on the video now uh, to let us know a little bit about the appeal. Thank you. When that shoebox is opened they are overjoyed. We can see them shouting, jumping. Oh, look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoe boxes. They are so happy. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about his son, Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. 
That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. Thank you. Uh, I think there's more information in the bulletin. I can't offhand think of the deadline, but um, don't wait uh, for that time. Take a, take a box and start shopping if you've not already done so. As our call to worship, we're going to have a responsive um, call to worship based upon Psalm 48. It's going to come up on our screen. I'd like us to read together the words in yellow. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion is the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. So we're going to sing to our God and about our God. Great is the Lord. Let's stand and sing.
living, loving God, we want to praise and thank you for your goodness to us. As we gather here in this place, in your presence, we ask that you may move among us by the presence and power of your Spirit, touching our lives, transforming our lives. Have mercy, we pray, and pour out your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please take your seats. Miriam is going to come and share with us a bit about the Tear Fund rubbish campaign. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to start with asking you a bit of a strange question. How many of you cleaned your teeth this morning? Okay, no show of hands needed. I'm assuming the vast majority of you did clean your teeth. And it probably looked a little bit like this. Some plastic, and it probably was a plastic toothbrush that came in a plastic box. Have you considered how much plastic in that? Well, the good news is I cleaned my teeth, and it didn't involve plastic. It, these are my toothpaste. This is my toothpaste. It's in a metal box, and it's little tablets. They look a bit like little mints. They take a bit of getting used to, but there's no plastic. And it goes without saying, my toothbrush is bamboo, which is completely non-plastic, apart from that little tiny bit on the head. So why did I do that? Does anyone know how long it takes for a normal toothbrush to decompose in landfill? Anyone want to have a guess? Forever. That's not far off. <laughs> A lot more than 50 years? No, You're not far off. I've heard 400. It probably depends exactly on your toothbrush. So if you change your toothbrush three times a year, roughly, and you're like me, you're about 40 years old, that's 120 toothbrushes. Let's say there's 50 of us here, that's 6,000 toothbrushes in landfill just because of us. That's a lot of plastic. And it's not, it doesn't stop at toothbrushes, does it? Toothpaste, shampoo bottles, cleaning products, the amount of plastic in landfill is disgusting. And a lot of it's being shipped out to other countries. It's causing flooding, it's causing a lot of problems. So what can we do about it? We can start small. The task seems overwhelming. How can we get rid of plastic? Could you make one change from today? Could you convert to using a shampoo bar? Could you convert to looking into alternatives for some of your cleaning products? Could you commit to one change? The task seems unsurmountable. Can you get rid of plastic across your house? No, you can't. I've been making changes for about four years now. I still use plastic. There's a lot of plastic in my recycle bin, but there's a lot less than there was four years ago. And we worship a God of miracles. If every single person makes a little effort, God of miracles can change things. He can make changes. He can work with our little bit of effort. Every little bit of effort counts. So what about the bit of plastic that we really can't get rid of? Some of it, places like the court can recycle it now. And Grace has been learning at school about a scheme where the plastic we can't get rid of, the crisp plastics, the soft plastics, can go in something like this. Do you want to tell us what's it about, Grace? Ecobrex. So How did you fill these up with lots and lots of plastics, and once you've got quite a bit of it, you can 
make like a bit of furniture with it and use that. There is a bit of skill to it, you need to look into it. Don't just shove your plastic into a bottle and hope that's the answer. <laughs> it's not. If you look into it, there is a way you do it, there's schemes, they will teach you how to do it properly and some plastic can be turned into furniture getting it out of landfill. So I now ask you, first of all, to pray and to watch this video with me from Tia Fund about the plastic problem. Watch it prayerfully. And there's a petition on the Tia Fund website that if you can sign, it's a massive appeal, lots of governments involved. Let's try and solve this plastic problem. Thank you. Our world has a rubbish problem. We're facing mountains of it. It's gathering in rivers, piling up in cities, collecting in the streets and flooding communities. Two billion of us, one in four, have no way to get rid of it. Forced to live among it, with no option but to dump or burn it. That releases toxic fumes, damaging people's health, choking neighbourhoods and our climate and causing up to one million deaths a year. And all the while it piles higher, our addiction to single-use plastics adding to the heat. But in the face of the crisis, Jesus, you speak. You tell us boldly, this is not your plan. Even with faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move the mountain. With you and our faith and action, it is possible. Right now, we have a moment to make the mountain move for good to put an end to this rubbish problem, plans have begun for the first ever worldwide solution for plastic pollution. We could see the creation of a global plastics agreement. But to make it happen, we need you to add your voice to thousands of others to demand an end to plastic pollution and its impact on people living in poverty. Take action today and help us move this rubbish mountain So there is more information uh, on uh, Tear Fund on the, on the website. Uh, thank you to Miriam and Grace for uh, introducing this campaign to us. We may not have heard of this, this rubbish campaign. And uh, do find out more about it. And if you're interested, particularly interested in, in helping us as a church make a difference in this and in other areas, uh, then please uh, do... Uh, contact, well, speak to Miriam or one of the members of the eco group as there are other things that um, we can do uh, in that area, or you can actually be, become part of that group of people seeking to encourage us and drive these things forwards. Let's just uh, for a moment pray and uh, then we're going to sing our next song. Lord, we want to thank you for Tear Fund. We want to thank you for their work and for other groups like them seeking to make a difference in our world and with your creation, the way in which we've spoiled, spoiled it and are spoiling it. Help us, Lord, to make the changes that we need to see. We pray, Lord, for these larger matters of justice and righteousness in our world 
And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to play our part as and where and beyond where we can. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to sing our next song. Uh, glorious things of thee are spoken. And during the singing of this song, uh, the children and young people are going to go out to BRBK. If you're new here today and you want to go to that, uh, that if you go through those doors or through the door up the top in the balcony and, the, and it's held in the sports hall at the end uh, of, the, of the building there. But hopefully an adult will meet you and direct you. So if you want to go out with... Uh, if, you, if you haven't been before, you can go out with your parent and, um, and see what it's about. Let's sing together.
ask us to sit. And uh, Michael, I'm going to ask Michael to come forward. Do you like to share something? Thank you, Michael. Declarations and declarations in God and fear. We have an enemy, and that enemy is the devil. And we have spiritual warfare. Now, Caleb looked and he saw the giants, but he realised they were grasshoppers in the eyes of God. Joshua took the promised land. Abraham moved forward by faith and not by sight. And I'm making a declaration today, a declaration of I believe you, God, and I believe you are the God of victory. I believe you will come through. For ten days up until the middle of last week, I could not lie down and sleep. I had congestion, which meant I had to sit up all night to sleep. The ladies in Antigua said this was wrong, and they prayed. And the congestion, I've had, I've lain down to sleep now for about three, two nights, and I've actually been able to lie flat. It's been a great relief. But as soon as that went, Satan said, uh-uh, I'm going to come in a different way. I'm going to make a major attack on your finances. And I'm declaring now, Satan, you are beaten. Satan, I am not accepting your victory. I may not see the victory now, but I know I have the victory in Christ. And as Christians, when we are attacked by the devil, we turn around and say, we see the victory. Why are people attacked by the devil? Why are we in spiritual warfare? Very simple. The reason is, if we hold firm to the word of God, we will be attacked by the devil. Because he doesn't like it. And the devil made me a promise when I first became a Christian. He and I had a chat going up the stairs and he said, Michael, I'll give you a promise. If you don't go forward with God, I won't attack you ever again. And I said, get lost. And I carried on going forward. And I haven't stopped since I became a Christian of saying, no thank you. Satan, I will go forward. And I declare now, Satan, you have no authority over my finances and over my future. And I declare now that I have the victory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're attacked, that's what we need to declare. And declare firmly that Jesus has that victory. Thank you, Michael. We're going to sing together. Oh Lord, the clouds are gathering and we're going to move into a time of prayer after that.
please take a seat. There were many things in the news and on our hearts and minds that we could pray for. Many people distressed by world events and many families concerned for many reasons about their loved ones. We know, Lord, that the world is hurting. And so we come this morning before our Father God to pray. I've chosen three things, which quite miraculously we've just been singing about and thinking about. First, the beauty of God's creation and how it's under threat due to our poor stewardship. And for this, I want us to have a heart filled with responsibility. Secondly, the conflicts in both Israel and Ukraine. And I'd ask us to think with a heart filled <coughs> with compassion. And then thirdly, for the community of this, our church fellowship and the needs of our people. And for this, I would ask that God would fill us with hearts full of love. As we pray, I will invite you to say at the end of each prayer with me, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Shall we pray? Father God, we marvel at creation, at the beauty of the earth, of its flora and fauna, we thank you, Father, for the marvellous seasons and this autumnal season where many wonderful colours and textures of creation are around us each and every day. But Lord, we've been reminded this morning and we are sorry for not looking after the world as we should. We think of man's greed for material things and how we are destroying your creation with lack of thought for our own personal gain. Give us, Lord, hearts of responsibility. Help us to realise that we can do something. Help us to think about Miriam's challenge and think what is it that we can take responsibility for so that we can, Lord, contribute to stopping some of the extreme weather and global warming results all around us. Lord, give us that heart burdened with the responsibility to make changes where we can, to recycle, to reuse, to reduce waste and to share. Thank you, God, for the many organisations and groups such as Tear Fund who give us information and ideas. Prompt us, Lord, for hearts filled with responsibility for your world and your creation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. It's hard to know, Lord, where to start when praying for the people of Israel and Gaza. We see and hear news of terrible suffering and hardship. Listening to the news just this morning, we were hearing how families had to choose who could eat 
and who can sleep? Ever watchful for enemy attacks. Many thousands displaced from their homes, many families bereaved and in mourning. This conflict has been going on for many, many years, Lord, and we don't understand. But we pray earnestly for an end to this conflict and for people in Israel and Palestine to live in peace. Lord, this morning we pray for a ceasefire to allow humanitarian aid to enter Gaza so that these innocent people can receive the essentials and the support they need. Lord, our heart breaks for these people with compassion. Father God, we would not forget the war in Ukraine. This conflict has been relentless now for 20 months. And we also bring those people to you in compassion. Let this conflict not be something we learn to live with, but something we continue to pray about for peace and a long-term solution. Lord, as we pray for the conflicts around the world, give us hearts of compassion. <coughs> Melt our hearts, Lord. Yes, let tears fall like rain, so that we may always keep these people close to our mind, our heart, and our prayer. Prompt us into action, Lord, with hearts of compassion. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father God, we now pray for the needs of this community and fellowship of Brighton Road Baptist Church. Prompt us, Lord, to be filled with kindness, love and care for one another. Lord, we think of many in our fellowship who are ill and undergoing treatment for illness at the moment. And we'll take a moment in the quietness to remember the names of those who need our prayers. Lord, we ask for healing for those we have mentioned in our hearts and our minds, if it is your will. We pray for peace for those in our fellowship who are ill and a deep sense of your presence with them on their difficult journey of illness. Father God, we also think of those in our fellowship who have suffered bereavement in recent weeks and months. Lord, help us all to show care and love for these members of our fellowship. Encourage us all to remind one another of the hope that we have in you. As we pray for one another, Lord, give us hearts moved by love. And finally, as we look forward to the future of our church, we ask that you will give us hearts 
filled with love and hope as we seek to appoint a new children's youth and families worker. Lord, I believe you already know who you have in mind for this task. Prepare us as a fellowship with hearts open to receive whoever you send. Receive them with love and with kindness. Help us to be receptive to new ideas and new ways of being church. And so, Lord, in all our thoughts and dealings with this church and its community, give us hearts filled with love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And so, Lord, this morning, help us to feel the responsibility to play our part in your creation. A deep compassion as we pray for the war-torn areas of our world and a deep love and commitment to one another in this community in which you have placed us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you, Julie. I want us, instead of having our next uh, song, we're going to move straight into our reading. So if we can have the reading up on the projection, and we're not going to sing the the next song. So we're following a series at this time from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's pray as we begin to read and as I speak. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you speak to us today. Help us to hear and respond. Help me to speak. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring about your purposes amongst us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 1 to 8. And this is from the New International Version. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do, not know, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The topic that I've been given this morning is titled Avoid Sexual Immorality. 
On the surface, it seems to be a straightforward command. But in our society today, it is a tricky topic, a sensitive subject for some, and risks causing offence and upset. I have wrestled with this message, and I offer it from my heart, seeking to do so with humility, gentleness, and love. And I am aware that others may disagree with what I say. So this morning, we're going to focus upon the phrase found in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. We're going to consider what the Apostle Paul means when he uses the Greek word. We've got translated in the NIV as sexual immorality. And also look at God's desire for the Christian to be sanctified. So what is Paul meaning when he writes of sexual immorality? Well, the word that Paul uses here is found dozens of times in the New Testament. It is the Greek word porneus. This word's meaning developed in use over time. It is originally derived from perneo, meaning to sell off. Pornea, as you may hear, is the root of the English terms pornography or pornographic. In this, it refers to the selling of sex, the selling of sexual images, the selling of sexual gratification. Though originally referring to a selling off or a surrendering of sexual purity, by the time of the New Testament, the use of pornea had widened so as to cover promiscuity of any and every type, all illicit sexual intercourse. Freiburg's analytical lexicon to the Greek New Testament defines pornea as being generally every kind of extramarital, unlawful, or unnatural sexual intercourse. Another source says it was used to describe all types of sexual license permitted in Gentile culture. Let us at this point also note that the, uh, the Jewish Mosaic law prohibited particular sexual activities accustomed among the Gentiles, mostly but not exclusively found in Leviticus chapters 18 and 20. The Jewish people were to be different from the surrounding cultures and peoples in their sexual practices. With that understanding of pornea in our mind, let us consider where else it is used in the New Testament to get some context. Matthew records Jesus as saying, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, pornea, makes her the victim of adultery, which is, uh, Matthew uses a different Greek word, 
moxia. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And also, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Matthew also records how Jesus says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, pornea, theft, false testimony, slander. Mark records a longer list. It is from within, out of a person's heart, he writes, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. Sexual immorality is an outward action originating from an internal evil thought. You see, here Jesus focuses upon the heart as the place from which the actions flow. He reminds us of the depravity, the deceitfulness, the sinfulness of the human heart. Earlier, Jesus says, as recorded by Matthew, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The adultery has already been committed, Jesus says, with that lingering, covetous look as far as Jesus is concerned. Jesus deals with what we harbour in our heart. So, I would say, sexual immorality, along with adultery and other things, is not just confined to the outward actions, but inward, heart-owned and heart-harboured thoughts. Despite Jesus' teaching on the matter, we see how the early church wrestled with sexual immorality, pornea, from the outset. In its seeking to integrate Jewish and Gentile believers, the leaders of the church wrote to the Gentile Christians following a church council where the matter was discussed. And this is part of what they replied. Telling them to abstain from... One of the things, sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. The permissive Gentiles had to be taught a better way, shown in Christ the way of holiness, that such sexual immorality was prohibited for the believer. However, the pornea issue was widespread in the early church and seems to have stubbornly stuck around. For Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in his first letter, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. He makes it clear that the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And Paul urges the Christian believer in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, 
but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies, he writes. Here, Paul seems to set the sin of pornea in a class of its own. And he gives some practical advice. Since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Keep sexual activity within the confines of marriage. Paul had to address the issue again, though, in his second letter to the Corinthians, fearing that he would, and I quote, be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, pornea, and debauchery in which they have indulged. And Paul has to address pornea amongst the Galatians. Also, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here he is writing to, and I quote, my brothers and sisters who were called to be free. This is an issue that he is addressing amongst believers, amongst those who have received Christ and his spirit. And Paul admonishes the Ephesians also. Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. As Fallen human beings, we can have the tendency to see how far we can push the boundaries, but Paul is telling the church, don't go anywhere near, poor near. Sexual activity outside of marriage, I would say. It is not fitting for a follower of Christ, not even a hint. What is more, it's... Widespread, Paul urges the Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Put it to death, he says. Strong words. Don't let it live. Sexual immorality belongs to your old earthly nature, which is crucified with Christ. And of course we think of our letter today, the Thessalonians had their own problem with pornea. So, I am saying, proposing, I believe, that sexual immorality, pornea, is extramarital, unlawful, and unnatural sexual intercourse. And it was, and still is, a real widespread problem. The church continues to this day to wrestle with pornea in all of its various forms, in its being harboured in the heart and outworked in practice. 
And it is at this point that I feel I need to clarify what I believe the plain meaning of the scripture is here regarding pornea. And in doing this, I am not seeking to court controversy. I'm seeking to be clear and honest so you know where I am at. I believe that the Greek word pornea meant and still means all and every sexual activity outside of marriage. And again, to make it crystal clear where I stand on the matter, and having given the matter a great deal of thought, research and prayer, sexual activity is a beautiful gift from God to be celebrated within marriage, and I believe marriage is given to be and can only be between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman. I know that in our society and the legislation of our land has redefined the term marriage as now open to be applied to same-sex relationships. And I note and lament that part of the church in our land has followed suit and parts, more parts are seeking to follow suit in accepting and indeed rejoicing over and being proud of and promoting this redefined term of marriage. I believe this is an error and a grave error at that. I want to go so far as to say I believe it to be a destructive, demonic deception and delusion. There are serious consequences to dishonouring marriage. The scriptures teach that marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral, pornea. Let me again speak plainly about pornea, for I understand that the scriptures teach a number of things. Pornea is sinful. It originates in the heart as a temptation that is offered to us and owned by us and outworks through our disobedient acts of the flesh nature, that is the old nature, which is to be daily crucified in the Christian. It's even likened to as idolatry. Pornea, therefore, as such, is to be repented of and avoided, not chased after, not indulged in or celebrated. Pornea, in the life of the Christian and in the life of the church, if tolerated, if not repented of, results in dire spiritual consequences, of which the following are some. Pornea is spoken of as evil and brings defilement. Pornea breaks the law of God and is contrary to sound Christian doctrine. Paul writes to young Timothy these words, that the law was is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, 
for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. Pornia prevents inheritance of the kingdom of God. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that, the wrong, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul writes to the Ephesians, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, pornos, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Pornia also brings bondage and slavery to sin. Yes, Paul writes, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The body, he says, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And also he writes to the Romans, and when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He is simply echoing Jesus, who said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so Pornia, the scriptures tell us, brings punishment and spiritual and eternal death. Paul writes, The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before in our passage this morning. James writes, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The Apostle Paul writes, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And he goes on to say, outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Pornia should, according to the scriptures, bring church discipline amongst believers. Paul writes to the Corinthian church that those who claim to be believers who are engaged in pornia and not to be associated with by other believers. And I want to read what Paul says from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, pornea, among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you, that you may be a new, unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, poinois, not, not at all meaning the people of this world who are sexually immoral, poinois, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, pornos, or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So we come back to the letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians and our scripture verses today. Paul writes to the church by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He warns them that anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He writes that the born again believer is called to live in order to please God, not to please themselves. Paul writes that it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. You should avoid pornea. As I've said, avoid sexual activity outside of marriage as between a man and a woman. The word Paul uses, which the NIV translates as avoid, is a word that means to abstain from, to hold back, to keep off, to be away, to be distant from. But it is a compound word, from two words put together, meaning away from and have. In other words, to have one thing by separating for, from or letting go of another thing. To have by separating from. To gain something by discarding something else. To have something because we are far away from something else. So we are to move away from sexual immorality in order to gain something else. Something better, holiness. Paul writes that it is the will of God that the believer is sanctified. This word means the process of making holy or becoming holy. To be holy is to be set apart for God, to be consecrated to God for his use and purpose. God's desire is for the Christian believer to advance in holiness, in, a, in set apart for godness, for the believer to be progressively transformed by the Lord into his likeness in their heart and life. And holiness is a theme of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, mentioning several times. He cites himself and his companions as examples to, of, to them all. Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy 
righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. His prayer for them is this. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He advises them that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. No, learn to control. This transformation is part of sanctification. It's not something done to us. It involves our active choice and participation. The writer to the Hebrews tells them to make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The Christian is called to a holy life for Christ, to live for him, to live differently from the world and its ways and its message. The follower of Christ is to be different and to do different. Paul tells the Christians in Rome, just as you used to offer yourselves as slave to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. He reminds them that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians in his second letter to them, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And if all this feels and seems too much, Peter reminds us that the Spirit of God is outworking his purposes within us. For he refers to the sanctifying work of the Spirit enabling us to be obedient to Jesus Christ. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life, a life set apart for Jesus, a life where we pick up our cross and die daily to sin. Such is God's grace that he helps those who are being tempted. And I know this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, Paul tells the Corinthians. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Christ Jesus was and is, as the writer of the Hebrews puts it, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let us take heart from Paul's warning and encouragement to the Corinthians. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
May the Lord give us much grace in these days as we seek to live for him, in him and like him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. We are commanded, in fact, in Hebrews, see that no one is sexually immoral. And as the early church wrote to itself, you are to abstain from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, loving Lord, that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lovingly bring conviction of sin, that your kindness leads us to repentance. Thank you, Father, for the invitation from Scripture let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you for the truth and warning of Scripture that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Help us to walk with you, Spirit of God, in sanctification, yes, in suffering, in daily daying to self, in the process and highway of holiness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we sing our closing song and as a, a, a prayer, I appreciate that people may have thoughts about what I've said. I hope that you know me well to know that you can approach me and, and disagree with me or to have it out with me. Don't do it here right now, but I'm, I'm fine. I, I think it's important that we dialogue that we talk, and that I have the freedom to say these things, that you may have the freedom to say your things. And in this way, we love one another. In this way, we grow. We go forwards <laughs> together. Let's sing together. Purify my heart.
pray with someone. There are folk who will um, pray with you at the front after the service. Uh, Or if you want to share any other things with myself, then please do feel free to do so today or in the coming days. We're going to share the grace with one another, but first let me pray for us all. Father, we want to thank you for your love for us. And we ask, Lord, that there may be love among us and that you, living God, would continue to bring about your transformation in the world that you love. Use us, we pray. Lord, has been my prayer many years. Sort me out. Lord, I pray that you would glorify your name in these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's say the words of the grace to one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.